There's only six games to dissect from round 12, but there's plenty of cracking games of football, even more talking points. So it's a full week's worth of analysis around the water cooler this week. And joining me, as he does every week, is Footy Live's finest analyst and dampest Hawks fan, Nikki G. Have you warmed up after Sunday's Arctic Blast? Mmm, uh, not really. As you can see, I've got the beanie on. We both do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, just, it's a winter game. We love winter. Um, it's when the best footy gets produced. And there's another good weekend of uh, results. And, yeah, I think the competition is in very good health at the moment, Gordo. Yes, unlike everyone else who, you know, after going to the footy all weekend is covered in, in mud and rain and sleet and is not in good health. So uh, yeah. our thoughts go out to all football fans. But question without notice, uh, mm-hmm. were you there on Sunday? No, I was caught up in work. Uh, <laughs> it was actually, no, okay. to be fair, it was the first game that I've missed this year in Melbourne. So, um, and I was actually, I was very disappointed about um not going because it was a home game and technically I've paid for it and I just hate letting those games slip. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you wanted to go. So yeah. the follow-up question is obviously great spectacle on TV when it's wet weather footy, mm-hmm. but a bit of a tough slog if you're actually in the stands. Should they keep the MCG unroofed as it currently is? Do we need some wet weather footy or should it be all roofed up Nice and cosy, good conditions for the fans and for the footy players as well. Oh, yeah. I, I can understand why you would want a roof on there. Um, yeah, it's good for the spectacle as well. But it's a winter game. You, you have to you have to get used to playing wet weather footy. And I think wet weather footy is, uh, yeah, it's the best part of playing sports sometimes for me anyway. And, yeah, I, I like it. What You know, I know we've seen some complaints this this week already about um, uh, the the weather and how it's affecting crowd attendances, but I'm not really buying into that. Like, we, it's never been a problem in the 150 years the game's been around or any sport's been around. So, I think people just need to suck it up. To be honest, yeah, I'm with you. I actually quite like the G when it's a bit wet. I know, mm. you know, you know, life must be nice. We must be doing all right for ourselves because I can usually afford to get a ticket behind some glass, and that's usually okay. I don't mind doing that way, <laughs> but I. Uh, but yeah, you know, you can you can find some refuge. You can you can go out with your poncho. You can work it out. But there's something, there's something. It's a good romantic throwback to how it used to be out in the outer, down at you know, mm. Princess Park or Vic Park or you know, yeah. EJ Witten Oval or you know, back like yeah. the old days. A bit of a time machine element. So uh, yeah, no roofs for mine. Bring on the wet weather footy. Something that will warm us up though is our heroes for the week. So who was on fire for you over the weekend, Nikki G? It had to be Bailey Banfield. Uh, it was obviously a top of the ladder, ladder clash against uh, Frio and Brisbane, and Frio were undermanned in the forward line. And um, I was I was thinking to myself last week, you know, where where are the goals going to come from from Frio? I think Tabano wasn't there. Michael Walters was out, um, and I think a couple of weeks ago we spoke about how. Uh, Fremantle's scoring had dried up a bit. Um, this was obviously before the uh, game against Melbourne last week. Uh, they had a couple of weeks where they only scored five or six goals against Gold Coast um, and then at home again to Collingwood. So where were the goals going to come from? Uh, and, yeah, who stepped up? A couple of um, a couple of names that we haven't really uh, heard this year um, or haven't popped up. Bailey Banfield, four goals. Um, no one would have predicted that. Also, Griffin Lowe goes forward, kicks two. Um, 
I think he's, he'd only kicked one goal in his career before that. Uh, also, Michael Frederick, who is quickly becoming a star, uh, he kicked three. And obviously, um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that that's already, sorry, quick maths, eight goals at the top of my head. Um, eight goals between the three players, um, players that we obviously, uh, they haven't kicked bags this year. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, now that Frio ha- have shown they've got different avenues to goal, They've shown that they can beat uh, top sides, um, both home and away. They they must be premiership contenders, it has to be said. Yeah, definitely showing their credentials. And I think, uh, yes, we'll get to some of the other games' results later on. But yes, it's a lot tied up the top than everyone thought. And it's not going to be the boring cakewalk dynasty repeats itself. All the fears that we had after, you know, six rounds of football, which was obviously too, much, too premature. But uh, that's the world we live in. We live in a fast, fast world. We want results now. We want to know the answers to everything up front. And uh, sometimes you just have to be patient and, and wait for things to, to play out. Speaking of patience, Nat Fife is sitting on the boundary. Mm. Well, hopefully he doesn't have COVID after being mobbed by the Waffle fans. And that was good to see as well. But where <laughs> would you play him if you were uh, Coach Longyear? Full forward. Play him out of the goal square. He's got a spring in his step. You don't need him in the midfield. Frio's midfield this year has already been uh, been one of the best in the competition. Sure, you can throw him in there. Um, you can rotate him between forward and midfield. But, I mean, looking at Frio's team, even though, you know, there was a few plays that stood up, how good would it be to have Fife's leadership in the forward line and that extra X factor down there, um, getting the, de- de- the delivery and the service from their midfielders to the likes of Fife leading out of the goal square, that would make him hugely threatening, um, especially against uh, the better teams in the competition. So, yeah, chuck him in the goal square, leave him there. If they need some help through the midfield, put him, uh, yeah, rotate him a bit, but, yeah, I reckon he could become a 40-50 goal uh, forward for them if he plays a full season as a forward. Mm, absolutely, and it's an exciting time for him too, I think. He actually spoke really well uh, on the couch last night, and uh, it's great to see a person, they, they were kind of going to go to him, and I suppose a lot of greats on that couch were, you know, Brownie and Rewalt and Gary Lyon, and all were very, like, me, me, me characters because it's all built around them, and, and Nat Fife was that player back in the day, and I suppose, you know, Brownlow medalist, but he hasn't quite got the premiership yet, and I think, you know, he's just turned 30, he's mm. basically, you know, his whole body broken, and now he's kind of ready to win a premiership first and foremost and then just do what he knows, do what he needs to do to be involved. And oh yeah, that's really exciting because as you said, like that adding an element of leadership to that forward line is what Freo needs because it's probably their one weakness is that consistency of scoring. Although they did show mm-hmm. that they can outscore one of the best teams in the competition in Brisbane. So mm-hmm. exciting times for those Dockers fans out there. And there are lots, uh, especially if you live out in the West. Final question without notice for this game though, mm-hmm. is Andrew Brayshaw... The new best Brayshaw. Yes, I think it. Yeah, I think it has to be said. He is um, obviously his bro- brother Angus. Um, yeah, like he, he's taken a back seat in a way. Angus Brayshaw playing off the half back line. He was drafted as a midfielder. Um, still very damaging off the half back line, but you know, if if you're to take one of the two, um, and if age isn't a factor, you wouldn't be saying no to Andrew Brayshaw at the minute. Um, he's, he's um, yeah, obviously his age is still on his side, but he's gathering possessions every week. He's 
probably Frio's most important player, or at least one of the top two or three. Um, yeah, I'd be taking him any day of the week. Mm, there we go. There we go. The younger, younger brother takes over the top mantle. Always a good thing to see in a brotherly rivalry. <laughs> Speaking of rivalries, often full forwards have rivals. So Body was missing this week for the Swans. My hero was the man that replaced him. And I don't think Sam Reid lives in a world where he thinks he can you know, take the mantle off Buddy. No one can. He's, he's a generational, if not, you know, history of the game legend. But he lined up for game 168. His career has been marred by injury and lack of opportunities and trying to find a nice, like, the right spot for him in the club and playing that second big tall. And uh, he had to step into the boots of Buddy for all intents and purposes on the weekend. And he did just that with arguably his, his best game ever at least the best game of the last decade, but he's probably his best game ever. And he mm-hmm. did everything that Buddy could do and probably a little bit more as well. So, you know, kicked a bunch of goals, a couple of big grabs, but 10 tackles inside 50 as well for a person whose body fails him constantly. Having that fearless yeah. nature to just crack in at ground level in a game where you know, they had to do that against Melbourne to try and win. They won that game on effort as much as they did, you know, tactical now, so talent. And to mm-hmm. be led by, yeah, and a veteran tall is super exciting for Sydney um, and super exciting for Sam Reid because, you know, he wants a bit more of that 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 top finals action and maybe maybe a premiership. So, yeah, super exciting. I always love when people, you know, they've counted a player out and they come back and they have their, if, even if it's just a cameo, that's a really nice. Warms the cockles. And that's why I wanted this weekend, some, some warming natures for, that, for yeah. a cold, wintry round 12 game. Yeah, yeah, he was outstanding, and so was Logan McDonald as well. Them two as a pair up forward um, caused Melbourne's serious trouble. I know they were without Stephen May, but they still had to, you know, come up with a presence. And as you said, Sam Reed and the young youngster uh, Logan McDonald, who took the Rising Star this week, um, if you don't mind, he they, those two were brilliant, and um, yeah, carried Sydney in a way. Mm. And so it leaves us with two questions, obviously, because. Only one thing can be true in the football media, and that is, is Sydney now good enough to win a premiership this year with a, with a developing list and lots of smaller bodies, or should we be officially concerned about Melbourne? I think um, I'll answer the first part of the question uh, about the Swans. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be writing them off, put it that way. I, I, I think they're... They're still a young team and they've shown inconsistencies this season and um, uh, at times a lack of maturity, I think. They've lost games they should have won. Um, they haven't put together that many four-quarter efforts. Um, obviously, recency bias is a thing and you know, the, you're know only as good as your last game and they just knocked over the reigning premiers. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be writing them off per se, but... Um, I don't think they're primed for a premiership yet. I think, you know, the next, maybe next season or the year after that, they will be in that window. But, I mean, it's extremely promising to be, you know, competing at the top right now with the list that they do have. And so many young players like Logan McDonald and, um, yeah, Isaac Heaney and, and the rest of them standing up for them and, uh, yeah, winning games of footy for them. So they, they get still. They're going to be a good side for a very long time. And as for Melbourne, we said it a couple of weeks ago, or I, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, that uh, that they are going to lose games of footy. 
now that they have, we shouldn't be writing them off. Um, it's it's a regular season. They're two regular season losses. Uh, we shouldn't get carried away too much. I fully expect them to bounce back. I think everyone does. Um, they, it could happen on East, um, Queen's birthday and then all of a sudden, you know, they beat, if they beat Collingwood by 50 points, we'll be forgetting about the, the fortnight that happens. And, or, you know, after the bye, they could come out refreshed. I think they're very in need of uh, that week off. Um, so, yeah, definitely wouldn't be too concerned about Melbourne at the moment. But what I am concerned about is what <laughs> Christian Petrarca said on radio yesterday. Two well, losses. we need a crowd first to actually yeah. get ourselves going. No one comes. When you come out there and you only see really 30,000 there, it's pretty cool. Why are numbers down? Well, it's Saturday, Arvo, Saturday night. We played 4.30 last week against Freo, and that's not a great time for a Saturday night game. Yeah. And then Saturday night, 7.20 is not... It's just, been too, it's just too cold at the moment. I don't think people yeah. want to come and... Are they still doing... I um, find our, our age demographic for our fans is still quite... I found that extremely concerning, and that, I think, is enough to not derail a club... Um, but certainly, uh, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. Like, he kind of threw the fans under the bus a bit, saying uh, that there was no one, there's no one at their games anymore. It's hard to get motivated. He called Melbourne's fan base uh, older than the rest of the competition. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I, I found it quite strange and, you know, during Hawthorne's premiership years, if that was Luke Hodge or Buddy Franklin or Cyril Rioli coming out and uh, talking about that, about the fans, I'd be pretty shattered. (laughs) It's pretty disheartening, like, to hear that from one of your star players that you love so much. So, I don't know, I'm interested to get your thoughts on that, actually. Uh, uh, Yeah, I found that quite staggering, to be honest. Yeah, and it's very weird to say, like, oh, the fans aren't there, so I can't get motivated. It's kind of like, mm. surely, you know, you love footy, so hopefully that's number one and foremost, but also be your, your Christian Petrarca, you're on a lot of money, so hopefully that, that the fact that it's your job motivates you a little bit as well. Mm. But, like, maybe it's a ploy. Maybe he wants to, you know, go to one of those bigger clubs like a Collingwood or a, or a Carlton as they're on the rise and, you know, get around those fans there and have the roof blown off, Ralph the roof blown off. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't think Melbourne's had too much trouble with fans and I think they've just gone through a slump. It's cold, it's wet. He has to train at Gosh's Paddock. He's obviously having a, a bad week or two. Mm. Yeah, but it's just a very silly silly thing to say. And I think, uh, yeah, definitely the membership department and maybe even the uh, comms department will be like, hey, uh, hey, hey, CP, how about we don't how about we don't say that again? How about we yeah. take, take a couple of weeks off uh, media for you, mate? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's a small low light. So let's get back into the hype mode of our highlights. And you want to talk about the locked-in candidates for the rising star this year. Yeah, yeah. The top three is certainly locked in. And uh, it was locked in before this week, but now it's definitely locked in because they all three of them absolutely dominated. Uh, we'll start off with Sam DeConing first on Friday night. Uh, the young Geelong defender, he was incredible. I mean, Tom Stewart went down, and Stewart is, I guess, the spine of that defense. He, he's the heartbeat. Um he organises everything, and then he goes down midway through the game, and they need someone to stand up. DeConian's obviously the youngest one back there, and not only does he fill the void of Tom Stewart as well, but I, I think he just about, you know, 
won Geelong the game. I know they ended up winning comfortably in the end. It did get quite close, but um, without him and the effort he put in and, um, yeah, the intercept marks he took, Geelong could have easily lost that game. And we're, we're talking about a 20, 21-year-old defender who's played less than 10 games or maybe just over 10 games of footy. He's incredible. Um and he could very much well be leading the rising star right now. Um, I, there's honestly not a bad thing to say about him, and what an absolute unit he is as well. 204 centimetres, he weighs over 100 kilos. Bloody hell, I wish I was that size when I was um, 20, 21 years old. But um, And then obviously the, the game on Sunday, Hawthorne-Collingwood, um, it, was a, it was a wet, scrappy game at the MCG, but... The two youngest players on the field, or thereabouts, uh, just took over. And one was Nick Dacos. 36 touches off the half-back line. And I'm not buying into what fans say, oh, you play off the half-back, um, you get cheap possessions and all that. I, I thought Dacos was very damaging. His metres gained were incredible. He tore Hawthorne to shreds uh, at times. And he, he's just got, he oozes class and... When it does come his time to move into the midfield, he's going to be incredible. Um, he'll be probably the best player in the competition, to be quite honest. And then, obviously, Newcomb uh, for Hawthorne. Um, Hawthorne were all just about down and out at halftime, and when the rain came, uh, he put Hawthorne on his shoulders and carried them. I think he had uh, six clearances in the second half. He ended up with 25 touches, and again, most of them came in the second half. He, you know, when the when the game gets scrappy and tight, and even though Hawthorne were losing, for a twenty year old to put an AFL team on his shoulders and just carry them through a game, um, there's no way Hawthorne could go back into that game without him. So again, he is going to be one of the best players in the competition um, in a couple of years. So yeah, that that's the top three locked in for the rising star, and I'd hate to be the one separating them two for the. For the uh, for the final prize, mm. yeah, can't argue with that analysis at all. They are three absolute top guns of the competition. Speaking of top guns, we have a top gun listener, and that is Dario, and he has doubled down this week uh, to give us two things to digest this week. The first of which is this: Nico Gordo, Dario here from Buxton Real Estate Ashburton giving you another episode of Dario's Digest, giving you something to digest every single week. Great question this week. Get your thinking caps on. Who would you prefer, the Deconians or the King Boys? Let me know. So there you go. He's posited us the big question, not to pick at the rising star. As you said, that's obviously too hard to do. But if you were a list manager, you know, now officially list manager of the Hawthorne Football Club, congratulations, <laughs> and you get to choose between the Deconians or the King Brothers... Who do you pick and why? Oh, I mean, I, I love the DeConings. I think, uh, obviously, I just spoke about Sam, um, but also Tommy plays more forward and ruck. Um, but right now, I, I, I think, the, like if we're speaking at this point in time, the King brothers are probably a little bit more mature, a little bit more settled into their career, a little bit more established. Um, so you have to be leaning towards the Kings, I think, and... I know, I mean, can you imagine having two kings in your forward line or even one at each end, put Ben King in defence? I think he played a lot of defence as a junior. So, um, yeah, although I think Sam DeConing will be, become the best 
defender in the competition one day. Uh, yeah, I think I just think there's slightly, slightly a bit more high caliber on the king side of the argument. Um, Tom's, I think Tom DeConing probably, <laughs> um, with all due respect, he probably uh, is the one that isn't quite at the level of uh, Ben King or doesn't have the, the ceiling of Ben King or Max King at the minute. So, but obviously we'll wait and see. But yeah, at the moment, I'll probably have to say Kings. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, the other, the other thing you could say is that, well, at least both the De Konings play. So, you know, you, the Kings are more established, but at least they're both out in the field this year, whereas, you know, only one King is able to show off his, his worth this season. Mm. So that's, you know, and list management is about injury management as well. So, but then again, one of the Deconings is a ruck. So then like, that's also, you know, how many rucks mm-hmm. do I need? So I think, um, I think the smart move there is Kings long-term. Yeah. Um, and so I have to, I have to agree with you there. And I think sometimes this might have to like, just dig into the power of brothers, you know, like as a little, uh, little honorable mention, you know, the McCartans on the weekend, just really mm-hmm. enjoying the fact that, Paddy got back to play this year and then he gets to play with his brother and he gets to win. And, uh, yeah, must be the best feeling in footy, to be honest. If, if, other than if you could play with your dad and your brother at the same time, which would be almost impossible. Mm. Um, but other than that, yeah, playing with your brothers, winning games yeah. of AFL footy must be very, very nice. Yeah, absolutely. And also just on that, Paddy McCartan, bringing him back to the club, uh, bringing him to Sydney uh, is looking like a masterstroke at the, at the moment. Um he was, he's been incredible all season. Um, and a lot of teams give up, you know, high draft picks to bring in um, key position players, especially key position defenders. Um, we've seen it over the last couple of years with uh, Gibkiss going in the top 10, who's going to be a good player. Granger Barras the year before, but um, it just shows, you know, uh, that those, those types of players as well uh, take a few years to, I guess, develop. Um, can't really expect key position players to really become or to make a difference until they're in, you know, they're early to mid twenties at least. Um, so yeah, to bring Paddy McCartan back and to have his brother alongside him, they, they honestly look unbreakable at the moment. And that chase down by, I think it was Tom McCartan on Cosy Pickett. Unreal, unreal. So we've definitely got two, two great defenders there for the long term, the Swans. We'll be back after a quick break. go the key to uh making a great list in the future is to find brothers select them and uh we saw it work at carlton too with the, with the kernos so uh it does it does work it, it does work what else works is that when it pours down with rain you need to get excited about football and it is pouring again outside unfortunately yeah. you can't play football on a tuesday but 
vintage footy at the MCG is my highlight of the weekend. And that is even the dude, like my bandwagon Dockers got up over Brisbane. This was even better than that because I feel like sometimes players, they have a, they have a wry smile when it starts to cack down with rain and that's because all bets are off them. Like, you know, all of the talk about the complicated systems and structures and, you know, the, the unnegotiables and the team-first actions, they all go out the window. It's just like, get the footy, kick it forward, have some fun. Like, that's all you can do when it's starting to absolutely cake it down. And that's when these two, guys, these two teams shot. You know, the yeah. game was, was uh, looking pretty one-sided until halftime. The rain came down and all of a sudden it sparked into life and it just young players everywhere playing with some flair, taking the game on, keeping things simple. It was it was great to see, and I think you need you need at least half a dozen wet weather MCG games. It's very different that style of football than it is like you know Cairns mm. on, a, on a Saturday twilight game where it's dry but slippery and it's a bit annoying to watch. This is yeah, I can understand. It's wet, it's heavy, it's hard, it's relatable. It's it's you know Vaffa Division Six on a yeah. on a Saturday morning at nine thirty, covered yeah. in mud on a on a former cricket pitch. It's it's relatable <laughs> football and it's fun and it brings a smile to both of us as we reflect on that. Um, so that was the good side. A couple of uh, negative points because obviously everyone gets upset. And you know what? If your team lost on that day, which your team did, you'd be very mm-hmm. upset on the way home because you're cold, you're wet, you're probably <laughs> hungry. You're like, why did I do that to myself? And so the big question here is about the umpires and it gets us to Dario's point number two. Nico... Gordo, just lost my voice after that game. Cracker, Hawthorne versus Collingwood. Nico, in Dario's Digest this week, I'm directing it to you because I know you don't like the umpires very much, but you love the Hawks. Digest those two horrible decisions, the sliding one and the hold. Thanks, mate. Have a good week, guys. So what's your take, Nicky G? Apparently you're now the patron saint of uh, umpire criticism. Which is probably mm. fair on this podcast. Yeah, Hawthorne got Robert De Green, in my opinion. So obviously, you were very happy with the umps, or uh, was it a bad day out for the umps, regardless? I think it was a bad day for the umps, uh, regardless. I think you say Robert De Green on Hawthorne's side. I th- I think it was pretty bad on both sides, but the ones that are getting highlighted by the media are the ones that. Uh, well, Dario just pointed out, you know, the the die, uh, the what do you call it, sliding under the knees. That was ridiculous. That was that was not a free kick at all. Um, but I, I think, I mean, this is just me saying this, but the umpire seems to just level up the ledger in that uh, situation. I think he missed the free kick just before that, where Mitch Lewis or Kajitsky, I think it was Lewis, was getting held by his arm. It was a I thought it was blatant, um, but he let it go. And then a couple of seconds later, he pays a free kick for something that just wasn't there. So I reckon he maybe realized it was a mistake and he tried to um, give it back to Hawthorne anyway. Maybe, maybe not, but uh, that's the way I saw it. And then, yeah, I, I think it's, it's I think it's quite rich for Dario to be coming out and talking about uh, the umpires going Hawthorne's way, but... Because uh, in in that first quarter, Jack Ginnivan, uh, he he took two dives. Two of his goals for the day came from umpire free kicks directly, and both of them shouldn't have been there. The umpires eventually got on his case and stopped paying him to Ginnivan, which I liked, um, and he deserved it. And then they ended up winning by a kick, a, a goal anyway. So. Um, 
that ultimately to me that that could have you could you could say that proved the difference as well. So um, yeah, I, I didn't mind the free kicks that weren't given to Ginnivan. To be honest, that might be my biasy my bias talking, but um, you know if if you're going to get a bad reputation from the umpires by dropping your knees or when you get tackled, falling forward to try and get, you know, a push in the back call, then, you know, you you are going to get adjudicated differently by the umpires and I don't mind it because those other those other free kicks that apparently should have gone his way, they were dives as well. I, I don't know about you, Gordo, but I, I wouldn't have paid those at all. You could see what he was trying to do. He's he's a sneaky little fella, Ginevan, uh, to put it kindly. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't be falling for any of his antics. Um yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what happens next week on Queen's birthday um, and to see how the umpires treat him. Mm. It's a very interesting topic, this, because like people start talking about the spirit of the game, and it's I find it weird how like like you can whack a person behind the play, and that's like within the spirit of footy, but you know, doing something that's within the laws is not. And so I don't have too much of a, a problem with. You know, it's not he's not diving for free kicks. It's like Joel Selwood territories. Like Joel he Selwood is. is a good player. He's a far better player than 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 Ginevan. And but like this is the same tactic. It's the same skill set. And there's a whole divide between is it skill or is it cheating? Well, if it's within the rules, then it's and it's skillful. And then it's like, is it right though? Like, is he trying to win the ball? And I suppose that's the credit. Mm. Like he gets to the ball first. If you get to the ball first, you've done something right. And then I think you you can be rewarded. Would it be better or more exciting or, you know, more enjoyable or more justifiable for opponent fans if he tried to get out of the tackle or, you know, not just go for the free? Yeah, probably. But I think, obviously, he knows his skill set. He knows what he can do and what he can't do. And he obviously doesn't have the size or the explosiveness to do a dusty and, you know, break out of tackles and run in and kick that goal. So he, he goes for the free instead. I'd, yeah. Is he, is he just going full troll and just being like, this is going to annoy people more, and my sole purpose for this year is to just be the most annoying person in the world. Maybe I, I, that's it. I think that is exactly it. Um, like you, you mentioned, Joel Selwood. Joel Selwood at least you know still puts his head over the ball when there's a contest, and you know still actually tries to win the football. Um, and you know, being a Hawthorne supporter, I'm not Joel Selwood's biggest fan, but I've got to give credit to him. He's still a hard footballer and he's, you know, he still goes for the contest and tries to win the hard ball. Ginevan, though, what I noticed, and like, I'll put it out there, I haven't watched every Collingwood game this year. Um, I've watched a bit of Ginevan. I know what, you know, he's about and I know what to expect. I knew what to expect going into the game. But what I noticed is that at every contest he's going to enter, He's actually not looking at the ball. He actually looks at uh, the opponent uh, going into the ball with him. And I reckon going through his mind must be, all right, how am I going to win a free kick out of this? I I honestly think that is his mentality. And yeah, he'll either go for the ball and then try and get a head-high tackle or get in the back. But also when he's the one going to tackle, uh, there was a situation where he stuck his leg out um, on Jai Newcomb to trip him to get him to actually bring him to ground. Uh, then he got fined yesterday, Ginevan, actually for dropping his elbow onto uh, Lockie Bramble's head. Um, so it's situations like that that just make me think that he's just yeah doing it to take the Mickey out of the opposition. He's just trying to get under their skin a bit. 
Um, and then he, you know, gives off a raw smile every every now and then when he knows, you know, he's gotten the better of the umpire, he's gotten a call his way or something like that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd want a player like that in my team, to be quite honest with you. Um, mm. It's Chad Wingard does it sometimes. Like he might put an extra, a bit of extra mayo on some um, on some contests where you'll try and get a head high free kick, and I hate it. I hate seeing it. But Ginnivan just takes it to the next level, and he does it on more occasions. And sometimes, as we saw on the weekend, so like he'll go for a free kick and he doesn't get it. He loses. He loses the moment to actually win the ball, and that would frustrate me as a supporter. Like, just go for the ball, win the ball. Forget about. I think he worries too much about um, winning a free kick more so than actually winning the ball. So, yeah. And if it wasn't for those two free kicks in the first quarter that led directly to goals, he would have ended up with zero goals, zero scoring shots, and eight disposals. Which I think he can be better than that. I think he's got the skill set to be a better player than that. So. I think he's got a bit of maturing to do, to be honest. Mm. Which is what was the uh, ironically the first criticism of him by Cancorn saying, "What have you done yet, fella? You know, maybe maybe do something first before you start mm. causing all this commotion." And I think perhaps you know, you know, they've jumped a the shark there, and he's got ahead of himself. Who who knows? And I suppose he's been compared to like you know Ballantyne or Toby Green. Yeah. And I suppose the difference to those players is that they. They still had their role solidified whilst they were like they played the way they did, they acted the way they do. But you know, Ballantyne was the number one tagger in the competition. Toby Green is probably top five small forward of the last ten years. Like they're they're both can almost justify their behaviour because it's like they do their pests, quote unquote, yeah. but they also do their role exceptionally well. Whereas at the moment, maybe maybe Ginvin's just stuck being a pest and, and not much else. So. We'll, we'll wait and see on, on that notion, but uh, obviously you're in, you're in the in the notion there that, that Ginvin is the diver and not an exemplary skillful footballer in the ilk of a. Uh, well, don't know, get me wrong; like, he, he's got the skills to be a great footballer. Like he loves, he, he's a great set shot. Um, he, he's a great little. He could be a great little forward, but I think he just, um, yeah, I just think he should just be worrying more about actually playing the game rather than trying to get a cheap shot in. Mm. We got down in there, the lowlights there, so we may as well continue on. And yeah, we're going back to some old faithfuls when it comes to the lowlights. You want to lament the season that it has been for North Melbourne so far? Yeah, Gordo. I, I don't know if the Kangas can keep using the rebuild as an excuse for these losses. It is getting a bit ridiculous, and they gave their fans a bit of hope uh, at quarter time. They had a nice little three-goal lead over the Suns. But then what followed after that, it just all collapsed. Uh, they came crashing back down to earth. Um, and I'm starting to feel for their supporters, to be honest. Um, so they ended up going... Let me just get the results up. They, they ended up um, going down by, what was it, 70 points in the end or thereabouts. Um, but over the, let's, let's look at the last few games for the Kangas. All right, so they lose to the Suns by 62 points. Then St. Kilda last week, 53 47 to Melbourne, 69 to Port Adelaide, 78 to Frio, 50 to Carlton, 60 to Geelong, 68 to the Bulldogs, 11 points to Sydney, and then 108 points to Brisbane. Like that is that is a lot to cop. Uh, as it, I mean, if you're a supporter of the North Melbourne Footy Club, or even as the players, like there's there's talks about um, 
obviously all the off-field stuff with North Melbourne at the moment, and Jason Horn Francis not happy there. Well, that losing by you know on average, what's that? 50, 60 points every week. That must be so deflating and disheartening if you're a player, if you're a supporter. And I think they're just in a dire situation. I don't think they can keep using the rebuild as an excuse because we're seeing young teams this year win games of footy or at least compete. Um, it's a, it's an even competition. Um, and they're, at the moment, on par with West Coast who have not been able to field an AFL side this year. So if they're on par with them, that's telling us that... Um, that AF, uh, that North Melbourne aren't an AFL standard team at the moment. So, uh, yeah, what, what do you make of that? Um, I, I think something seriously has to be, be done. I think it has to be put on the coach. I think David Noble is under extreme pressure and he's, he's only been there for, what, one and a half years, two years. I think, you know, it, it's time to start taking a look at, you know, what's going on in the, in the coaching department. Yeah, I think it it comes down to standards, and I think the 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 problem of a rebuild is that it it allows you to excuse poor standards, not just results, but 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 poor standards. And so we saw this with Melbourne too. I think Noble on the weekend just surpassed the record for the worst, like the most games and the worst record. He passed uh, Neil's mm. uh, record when he was coaching him at Melbourne, and. It's it's feeling a bit like that. Like they have to going to get have pretty close to having to pull the pin and and properly like do an actual audit, like an actual review, not an Essendon review, but a, an yeah. actual review. And I suppose that's the difference. So Essendon's probably the other one, the massive disappointment of the year. They went into the season with h- higher expectations, and they are failing those expectations, but they're not being mm. dismal every week. Like they're mm. they're at least competing quarter to quarter, if not you know if not being able yeah. to do it for a whole game, but. No one, not a, I wouldn't think in a single North player, I don't think a single North coach, North fan, and definitely no tipsters are ever going, oh, this could be a game that North wins this week. No. They've only won, really. what, four quarters in the last seven games? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's broken, as you said. It's, it's definitely broken, and I don't know how you fix that because like, you, what, the only answer is to blow it up. Like, and then you're just back to where you were anyway. Like, they the only, po- only positive is they can't get any worse. They can't, well, they can't possibly it. get any worse than what they are. Yeah, I mean, they, they can't really... I mean, as far as the on-field goes, they can't press the reset button because, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. Like, that's that's what they're trying to get out of. But, yeah, I guess the, the way of... I mean, the question has to be asked about North Melbourne getting shipped off to Tassie. I know a lot of people use that as banter and, um, you know, joke around about that, but... I think it's a, I think it's a serious um, topic of discussion for the AFL at the moment. To be quite honest, and I suppose that's the difference between like North Melbourne and Melbourne. When Chris Pichard comes out and says, you know, our fans don't care; they don't come out and support us. Yeah, I think that's where the danger happens for North. It's like when the fans yeah. stop caring and be like, "Why would I? Like you guys don't care. I'm not going to pay my three hundred dollars a year to be a member and come here every week to watch us lose by fifty plus points. Yeah, like, it's not worth." It's not worth it. And then you get into the Fitzroy era and then it's kind of, all of a sudden it's like, why mm. didn't you save my club? And yeah. it's kind of like, it's and on I, the club. And... Like there is, there, is enough, there is enough AFL level coaching talent, list management talent in there, in the world, in Australia to solve this problem. But your club hasn't fixed it yeah. themselves. 
and on that you topic are essentially as well, to blame. On that topic, this week North Melbourne faced GWS at Marvel Stadium, Sunday three twenty. I reckon this will get Lock less than ten. Uh, this will get less than ten thousand people at the game, and that's no exaggeration. Yeah. I will be I will be shocked if this gets more than ten ten thousand. It could be the lowest ever in the AFL era. I don't know what the lowest is. Maybe I think I think I read it somewhere that it was around six thousand. This could this could get less easily. So watch this space for sure. Mm. My one's a lot less serious as a low light. You know, this club is not destroyed. In fact, they won a premiership, so they basically saved themselves in 2016, the Doggies. But since then, they seem to do this thing. They seem to have success. Mm-hmm. Premiership 2016, they went to the grand final last year, and now they're back in the doldrums. They're back mm-hmm. fighting for their spot in the eight. They're back trying to work out how to play good football consistently. <laughs> and the sad part is, is that, like, basically, you need to beat... I think if you beat Geelong this year, you, you're going to be in the finals. They're kind of like the, the gatekeeper to borrow Jared Waitley's term, and I agree with him. I think Geelong is, that, is the standard bearer of the AFL for the last decade. This is, this is what you need to do to be a finals team. You need to be like Geelong, and then if you're better than Geelong, you're going to have a good finals campaign. If you're not, you're probably not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And the doggies prove that they're just not there again. And I don't know how you drop away so quickly, but mm-hmm. just to give up five goals in the first quarter to Geelong is literally the one thing you can't do to a... To a team that is so well trained and has great systems and has great defensive integrity, just to drop behind that. And then, you know, they, they claw it back. The game comes close later on, but you've done all the hard work for three quarters that how can you possibly expect to win that game, yeah. win that game late? And then to top it all off, you've got Bailey Smith headbutton people. And mm. I know that doesn't, like it's, it's been blown out of proportion maybe a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't a Zidane Zazan headbutt. He didn't try and KO. It wasn't the you know it wasn't the classic Liverpool kiss. It wasn't that bad, but it just shows that these Bulldogs players, when they get challenged, aren't capable of holding their heads. Literally, yeah. pun intended, holding their heads. And so it's that's kind of the mentality. And you see Bevo do the same. Bevo comes out and snipes a snipes a journalist when they get you know when they when he gets held to account. And it's like that's mm. the part where I think they don't have that ability to play finals a year in, year out because they're not able to hold themselves to account without losing it and going aggro. And so that's probably the biggest disappointment is that this club has all the talent they need. Maybe mm. they need some more forwards. Okay, sure, but every club needs something. But they have such depth across across the midfield. They should be dominating games and they should be taking on teams like Geelong and holding them to account and taking yeah. a spot in the finals. But instead, they fall at the hurdle and they'll just keep doing it. They'll just keep mm-hmm. doing it. Mm, no, I, I totally agree with you. With the list they have, they should be higher than ninth on the ladder. Um, they should be in the top eight. They should be in the top four. They should be one of the teams dominating the competition. I mean, was was last year, did, did they trick us? Did they try and fool us last year? Did they overachieve? No, I think, I think they can be that good. Um, you know, the, the, the star quality that they have, Bontempelli, uh, Bailey Smith, Trelaw, Dunkley, Tim English, like these are quality players. Um, they, they have to be better. And again, I have to put it on the coaching. Um, it has to be um, Bevo. Um, if you can't get the best out of that playing group and, or, you know, at least make finals. If they don't make finals, he has to be under the pump. Um, because that, that would be a really significant drop-off. You know, if we re- rewind to the start of the season, um, 
there's no way anyone would have predicted Bulldogs not making the eight. And right now they're not. They, they don't deserve to be in finals, even though they're sitting ninth and they're you know mathematically still a good chance to make it. They sh- they don't deserve it. They've lost too many winnable games. They've they just haven't shown it. They haven't shown that they deserve to be there. Even if they do make it, I don't think they're going very far. But yeah, that's that's probably where I have the Bulldogs at the moment. Extremely disappointing. And Aaron Norton, who, you know, he, last year um, and the year before, he's being touted as, you know, one of the best young forwards in the competition. He hasn't gone near it this year. Um, and back, uh, a, a switch back to his um, original position in defence might be on the cards, and that would be an extremely significant and disappointing, I guess, outcome for him as well. Mm. I think it shows that the Bulldogs don't have that ability to foster players outside certain positions. I think... If you're a midfielder, you go to the Bulldogs and you and you flourish, and we saw it with Adam Trelaw. Um, but they're yet to really, you know, they haven't outside midfielders. They don't really grow or develop any talent. They haven't de- developed a long term full forward. They have to go and find them from other clubs. The same with their defence. So key position players, I wouldn't be wanting to go to the Bulldogs based off the last you know five years of talent development that we've seen there. Mm. And you raise an interesting point there, Nico. So for our closing questions, I'm going to hit you up with some mid-year gradings. We'll start with the Doggies because they're the current team we're talking about. What's their current grade for the season? What's their worst-case letter position? And what's their best-case scenario to keep the fans happy and engaged? At the moment, with them sitting outside of the top eight, that has to be a fail, I think. It has to be an F. Um, Worst-case, missing finals. could be ninth. doesn't matter if it's ninth, 12th, 13th. If they miss finals, that's worst case. And their best is making finals. Hope you know, probably a home final would be their best case scenario. So you know, fifth or sixth. Um, but yeah, that's probably where I've got them at the moment. Yep, agree there. I think it's a soft fail because I never really rated them because I don't rate them year in year out. Ever since 2016, the massive drop off after that. I had them 12th for worst, much like you. If you miss finals, who cares? Bevel will be under the pump. And I don't think they can make the top four. So they're definitely going to be floating best-case scenario in that fifth position. Mm. Uh, next double do then is Adelaide at the halfway mark of their season. C, C, C plus. You know, they've won a few games. They've upset a couple of teams. Um, I don't think they're... Well, over the last few weeks anyway, I know they got the win over the Eagles on the weekend, but um, I don't think they're playing that that much of an exciting brand of footy compared to some other younger teams at the moment. Um, they could be doing better, so I'll, I'll have them, you know, as a C. They've been okay. Mm. Yeah, I had a soft pass as well, much the same reasons as yours. It's like, yeah, they've, they've got a couple of wins. They've got a couple of good players. Tex is back playing pretty good football, but... They're not going to compete against anyone who's a sniff for finals, so they haven't really got themselves out of that bottom four yet. Best case scenario, they get 12th. Maybe they turn it on the back half of the season. I think worst yeah. case is 16th because, you know, no one's going to be worse than North Melbourne yeah. or, or, the, uh, or the Eagles this year. So there you go. Speaking of the Eagles, we'll do them next. I suppose it has to be a hard fail. Not much yeah. to analyse there. Yeah, that's it. Hard fail. Um, you know... If, if you asked me this a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have been a bit more lenient on them, saying, oh, yeah, they've had their injuries and their COVID problems. And that certainly got them... They, they started the season off the rails, it has to be said. But, you know, I, I thought that 
you know, the weekend's game was probably one of their better teams they've fielded this year, and they were still pretty atrocious. So, yeah, hard fail. They're going to finish last or second last. Um, be, you know, pretty funny if they end up finishing above North Melbourne. Sorry, North fans. But, um, yeah, best case scenario, 17th. But I think at this point they'll be happy to take the number one pick, to be honest. Especially because it's probably going to come out from WA anyway, so they got a high retention rate there as well. So it could be mm. a blessing in disguise, but no one wants their team to be this poor for this long. In a year yeah. they didn't really expect it. The opposite, I think, is Gold Coast this year. So how do you rate their season so far? Mm. Another one that's changed over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'd probably have them as a B at the moment. Um, I, I think they're in contention for finals. Uh, I think they're playing... Uh, good footy, good enough to be in to be considered a top eight side. Um, yeah, I think I think best case scenario they finish eighth. Worst case is if they you know completely slump back to their original self or you know old self in um, in the second half of the season and finish in the bottom five or six again. I think that'll be disappointing for Stewie Jew because that's not really they. You know, if they finish in that area, that obviously haven't taken a step forward. So, um, yeah, I think eighth, ninth would be best case scenario. That would be a significant improvement for me. So the big games for them will be round 16 and round 17, where Gold Coast play Collingwood and Richmond back-to-back. And mm-hmm. I think that's what they need to be better than. I think Doggies are primed there for the taking. Richmond are there for the taking, and Collingwood needs to drop out for them to sneak in. Yeah. They're the teams they need to beat. And, you know, at, at 6 and 6, breaking 50%, that's all well and good. I think 10 and 12 was um, McKenna's best when uh, Gary Ablett was playing out of his skin. They, want to go probably go, they probably need to go 12 and 10 to make, to make the 8. And to do that, they need to beat some teams that traditionally they wouldn't have beaten in the past yeah. and have that step up. So I think it's a, a soft pass at the moment. I think yeah. recency bias would say, like, oh, they're on fire. But, like, you know, they're, they're still only 50% win rate for the year. They're still outside the 8. So it can't be a hard pass yet. And I think this, this list has been building long enough that they should be playing finals this year. And, uh, and hopefully they do it. Mm. And speaking of finals contenders, the last two teams, we'll start off with Sydney, who are currently sixth. But uh, yep. how do you grade their season and when will they end up? Again, a uh, bit of inconsistency this year. I'll probably say a B. Um, yeah, a few weeks ago, I probably would have had him as an A and a premiership contender. I think that's dropped off a bit, um, even though they just knocked off Melbourne. But, um, yeah, they're sitting sixth at the moment, more or less the same as last season. Um, yeah, I think a B. I think they've been good without being fantastic. Um, mm. And, yeah, best case scenario, they finish in the top four, get the double chance, of course. Um, worst case, though... They could still slip out of the eight, like it's that tight. Um, they're only two games in the eight. Their percentage isn't great, like the Bulldogs, Richmond, um, Carlton. All, all those teams are, you know, in and around the same percentage as them. So finals is no lock at this stage. Even though, you know, when we speak about Sydney, you know, they're, they're obviously a top eight side and they deserve to be playing finals. But anything is possible, and. Yeah, I, th- I think they've dropped some games this year that they probably should have won. So, yeah, I'd probably say a B. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, they're performing 
to last year's expectations, not this year's improvements. So definitely, yeah. you know, a B with room to improve, try harder in the second, in third and fourth terms and come back with an A-plus school, school card, please, the Swans. And then uh, I've got to ask you a favour for this one because I am a long-term Geelong apologist. <laughs> I apologise for Chris Scott. I apologise for Joel Selwood. I used to froth it when Gary Ablett was there. And you boys have talked me out of Geelong winning many flags in the last five years, and, and you rightly did so because I haven't done it. <laughs> I say that their, their season are the past. They just do what they always do. They're always there or thereabouts. They are the standard bearers. I think best case scenario, they can win the flag this year. Convince me why that's the wrong thing to think, Nico. Um, oh, well, there's not much to say against them, to be honest. The, you know, over the last month or so, I think they've, you know, found their feet again. Can we trust them come finals time? Though? I know they're a good home and away season team. They always have been. They have been for the last 15 years, Gordo. But, um, like, they're sitting in the top four at the moment. Uh, I don't think that's any guarantee, though, uh, that they do finish there. If they don't finish there, they're not winning the premiership. I think it's easy to say. Um, they're a good side when they're playing at home. They're a good side when they're playing in Melbourne. But um, are they going to be able to knock off Fremantle at Optus or even Sydney at the SCG or Brisbane in Brisbane, um, etc.? But, um, yeah, I, I think they've been... I, I don't know. If I was a Melbourne or Brisbane supporter, I probably wouldn't be worried too much about the Cats. I, I, again, like, I can't really pinpoint exactly why, but, um, like, yeah, okay, they, they beat the Bulldogs on the weekends. Bulldogs haven't been too great this season. They beat Adelaide the week before. They beat Port the week before in Geelong. They're, they're wins that you expect Geelong to win. But then they lose games to St Kilda. They lose games to Freo at home. Uh, they lost to Hawthorne. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. They they, they they got beaten quite convincingly at the SCG. So, I don't know. I, I probably still wouldn't have them in the top bracket in the competition. I still think they've got a bit to prove. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'd still have them. You know, they could easily finish in the top four. Jeremy Cameron's the leading goal kicker at the moment, and he's in unbelievable form. Tom Stewart got injured on the weekend, but if he's fit... He's one of the best defenders in the competition. They've got the ingredients. And another thing that goes against them, though, is Dangerfield. What, what's going on with him? You know, he can't string two games together at the moment. Is he past his best? Probably. Joel Selwood's past his best. Yeah, um, I think come finals time, who's going to be the one in midfield to stand up? You go. Solid, solid arguments, but I still have them. They could easily finish second this year on the ladder. And, and there's a chance, a small chance, they could finish top. So anything could happen if they get some home finals. And, uh, you know, especially with overseas, with interstate teams mm. finishing in the top. You know, a Fremantle-Geelong game, that's definitely getting played at Gavinia Park. Mm. Count your, your money on that. So very interested to see what happens in September. Luckily for us, we just have to watch the games to watch the games and see what happens and that's exactly what we'll be doing and guiding you through what to watch on the weekend come Friday and until then maybe take the week off Twitter and give Ginevan a bit of a break. <laughs>